0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, and thank you for joining us as we dive into the sixth episode of the first season of Voyager, The Cloud. We start off with Janeway's personal log. Personal log, stardate 48546.2. Our journey home is several weeks old now, and I have begun to notice in my crew and in myself a subtle change as the reality of our situation settles in. She's describing what so many leaders experience at some point. How do you develop strong, meaningful relationships with your staff or teams, but still maintain a professional distance? At the academy, we're taught that a captain is expected to maintain a certain distance. Dr. Anna Corbo-Crahan of the Center for Applied Philosophy and Public Ethics at the University of Melbourne defines professional distance as the space a professional must keep between their professional relationship with another and any other relationship they have with that person. It seems to make sense, right? But also, it's, it's, it's pretty ambiguous. Like, how much space? Should it be all business all the time? She doesn't define it any more than that you should be able to use your judgment, really. She, she doesn't define it anymore so that you're able to use your professional judgment. She does provide some meaningful context, though. The leaders should be able to fulfill their professional obligations and be seen to do so in an impartial and non-exploitive manner. What's key here is that she emphasizes not only the function of getting things done, but also the appearance of getting things done. So why is the way that people see us fulfilling our obligations important? Well, (laughs) perception is reality. Or is it nine-tenths of the law or something like that? There's real risk, real-life risk, to getting too personal with your teams. Allegations of favoritism can have impacts on your job, can lead to further allegations such as discrimination or even harassment. Beyond that, relationships that are too close and personal for the professional space can negatively impact your decision-making. It can lead to a less inclusive work culture because there will be people that are in the ones you like and those that are out. To to the earlier point, even if you manage these relationships well and you're aware of the impacts to your judgment and decision making, the relationships can lead to perceptions that can lead to allegations that can result in real impacts to you and your teams. I know it's not nearly as devastating as claims of discrimination, but I had an experience many years ago that demonstrated the power of perception when it comes to relationships at work. I had just started managing a program within a very large organization. We, uh, we There are about a hundred people in, uh, that were working in this program, so a small, smaller part of a much larger organization, and I didn't know until I started there but one of the employees was my nephew's grandmother. There's no marriage in this relationship, so she and I weren't related, but we had my nephews in common. I'm pretty social, and, and, and I believe in connecting with the people I work with, so I would visit with everybody during work. I mean, well, there's an entirely separate topic in there about managers basically just interrupting real work, but we'll save that for another episode. But I would talk with everyone about their families, their dogs, you know, whatever they were excited to talk about, or would at least tolerate me interrupting their work to talk about. Well, she and I would tend to talk about my nephews. At the time, they were hovering around like the 7 or 8 year old mark, so there's a lot of really fun stuff for us to talk about. But one day, I get a call from HR. Hey, You know, that phone call you always look forward to. Well, a team member had complained to them about the personal relationship I had and how I was showing favoritism towards my nephew's grandmother. I was I was shocked to hear this. I was very careful about my relationship with this person. and in, in fact, there was even another manager in between us, so she didn't even report directly to me. I, I couldn't have imagined having done anything wrong. There's a quote somewhere out there, and I'd really love if somebody out there could remind me of who said it, at Jeff T. Aiken on all the social media. But the quote says, In every pile of manure, there's a diamond. The question is, how much do you want to dig through to find it? Basically, there's always good in the bad. You just have to work to find it. In this case, I wanted to find it. That diamond was some tough feedback. Regardless of how I behaved, there was a perception that this person received special treatment due to our personal relationship. So outside of work, she and I spoke and agreed to leave our personal relationship out of the office. I was fortunate in that the person that made the complaint came to me to address the situation personally after they went to HR. But I still really, to this day, I really appreciate the fact that they came and addressed that with me. The conversation helped me understand the impact and the amplified impact, really, of my relationships and interactions with people at work. I think that even with Dr. Crean's take on professional distance, there's, there's room for situational adjustments. Not every relationship with every person in every workplace is going to be the same. As we review more of The Next Generation, for example, we will see Picard follow pretty much exactly what Janeway referenced in her quote about the Academy. But he is in a very different situation than Janeway is. Voyagers alone, there is no Starfleet command. There are no internship transfers or anything like that happening. Just it's, it's th- 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 There are less than 150 people on this ship, and that's pretty much how it's going to be. So how does that change the situation? I mean, does that mean that Janeway should just let her defenses down, be all buddy-buddy with all the crew? Well, that's exactly the question she's asking herself. They've been in the Delta Quadrant now for a couple weeks, and life is settling into normal, at least until the next normal comes along. But she's actively examining her leadership style and her approach to meet the needs of her team in the situation. Multi-dimensional leadership. It's what it's all about. Slight spoiler alert, uh, she kind of, sort of, answers the question at the end of the episode, So, so more to come. After all of that, she says, Maybe more than ever now, they need me to be larger than life. This is such a strong, powerful, and really profound statement. I mean, like it or not, there's often a sort of celebrity associated with being a leader. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, because I think other episodes of Star Trek convey this better. I'm a role model. (laughs) But just consider this. Have you ever been on an email thread where people that should be hearing what you have to say just don't seem to be? I generally think of email threads with our IT department on this one. Well, eventually, you just need things to move forward. So you CC your manager or an executive that is connected to the project, and then suddenly thing you need it just happens weird right more more on that concept in the future and, and, and a bit more here in the episode but the, the reality is a leader's position but also even their name carries weight with it people stop and they notice when you're there I've talked in past episodes about Gemba walks. The, the, the part of that I haven't brought up is, is, is where people the people that do the work every day feel more connected to their work, and, and they often have more of a feeling of importance just because you were there, actively observing them work and engaging with them. Leaders matter, and when they are present, people feel it. Wow. Look, we're just 73 seconds into this Voyager episode, and and we've already got all this great stuff. So we see that aspect of celebrity in action as Janeway comes onto the mess deck and checks in with Harry and Tom. We learn how Neelix has adapted to the kitchen. There's an ancient Chinese curse, Captain. May you live in interesting times. Mealtime is always interesting now that Neelix is in the kitchen. (laughs) She has a quick joke with them and then heads off on her own. Kim regrets not inviting her to join them. Paris, Paris says that ensigns don't invite captains to sit down. Captains don't want courtesy, they want respect. Harry asks, and this is great, Harry asks, Well, who else is she supposed to get chummy with out here? Ultimately, it's kind of an agree to disagree between the two. We learn more about Janeway's super healthy relationship with coffee as Neelix answers the age-old question. What happened to the drapes at the Max near Bayside High? Mo- mm. have a questionable costuming theme here. Well, Janeway gets called to the bridge and they've discovered a nebula. Lots of Omicron particles here that can replenish their antimatter reserves. You see... To conserve energy, Neelix has been cooking for them with, well, varying levels of success. I heard that? She just missed out on coffee because there wasn't any in the galley, and she didn't want to spend her replicator ration on it. So, extra energy reserves means... There's coffee in that nebula. Janeway and Chakotay discuss the morale of the crew. It's, well, well it, it's not good. Janeway wishes there was a counselor on board, but the mission that sent them out here was supposed to be quick, three hour tour. they didn't have one. Chakotay shares a tradition he follows that offers him an animal guide that counsels them through life. Basically, it's what Carl Jung thought he invented when he came up with his active imagination technique in 1932, but we'd been doing pretty much the same thing for centuries. He offers to teach her how to contact her animal guide, and she eagerly agrees. They head into the nebula to find those Omicron particles. Tuvok and Kim have a pretty fun back and forth that at the end of it, Kim gets the better of. Mr. Kim, that is a comment we would prefer not to hear from a senior officer on the bridge. It makes the junior officers nervous. Kim to Tuvok. In other words, you've never seen anything like it. Oh, I promise not to tell the junior officers. We see the bridge crew and the engineering crew working very smoothly together to problem solve their way through this nebula. It's great how Janeway, she just lets them do their things. She asks questions, she guides the discussion, but she trusts her crew to do their jobs. At one point, Torres has a theory on how they can progress through. Janeway immediately executes, no questions asked. A great demonstration of trusting your staff to do what they are trained to do. I mean, imagine hiring someone to do something and then questioning everything they do every single time. Why'd you bother hiring them? Why don't you just do the job yourself? In this case, Janeway demonstrates the power of trust and believing in your staff to make the right call. We cut to Cass and Neelix basically explaining the entire premise of the series. These people are natural born explorers, Neelix. These people are natural born idiots, if you ask me. Neelix is over the top mad that Janeway keeps putting the crew in danger to explore and learn new things, while Cass defends the, the, the spirit of the crew. The flight through the nebula gets dangerous and there's particles that show up and they start draining their energy reserves, the exact opposite of what they went in there to do. They end up using phasers and ultimately a photon torpedo to cut through the particles and escape the nebula. They end up losing 11% of their energy reserves in the process. Janeway asks for a sample of the particles so that Torres can analyze them, find out what happened to them. Classic sequence is up next as Tom abducts Harry and takes him to the holodeck. We find out here that Harry wears a sleeping mask and that he remembers being in his mother's womb. Hmm, interesting. I remember being in my mother's womb. (laughs) Right. Tom then introduces Harry to Shay Sandrine a program he built of a pool hall in France, where he spent much of his time at the Academy. A few episodes ago, they conveniently established that the holodeck runs off different power than the rest of the ship and the replicators, so they can run without negatively impacting operations. From a production standpoint, this is brilliant. It allows them to use the holodeck as an ongoing plot device. And in-universe, it gives new, a new setting for, for stories, for, for character building. Tom and Harry spend a lot of time here bonding. Some really fun stuff. (laughs) In fact, one of my favorite Star Trek tropes happens here. They're just hanging out, having fun. You know, a few minutes ago, Harry was asleep. But you know what they decide to wear? Their uniforms. Those things must be super comfortable. While they play, Torres gets to work. She takes the samples of the particles to the doctor, and they work together to figure it out. Doctor starts speculating what he could do if he were able to reprogram himself. He also shares Neelix's feelings about exploring everything around instead of just heading home. What were we doing in a nebula? No, wait, don't tell me. We were investigating. That's all we do around here. Why pretend we're going home at all? All we're going to do is investigate every cubic millimeter of this quadrant, aren't we? We cut to Chakotay and Janeway. He's going to help her meet her animal guide. Hey, do you know we're in the spirit world? <laughs> It's been well documented that the production and writing teams on Voyager were given a lot of incorrect and ultimately hurtful information about indigenous cultures by the consultant that they had hired. This guy claimed to be an indigenous person, but was was actually Eastern European. So instead of talking about what exactly it is they go through here, I'm going to talk about what is behind the gesture, what Chakotay's intent is. Chakotay is is sharing something deeply personal with Janeway, giving something of his authentic self. This is a really generous moment where the two people on the ship that must maintain some level of separation from everyone else, and even each other to a point, are able to come closer together through the sharing and acceptance of something deeply personal from one to another. Torres interrupts to share the findings that she and the Doctor have come to. Turns out the Nebula isn't a Nebula at all, it's a massive life form The Voyager likely seriously damaged when they used weapons to escape it. The Doctor has a lot of thoughts on this, but he doesn't quite have the social graces to know when and how to share those thoughts. So Janeway mutes him. Just mutes him. At this point in the series, she still sees the Doctor as, as, as a tool, as part of the ship. We, the audience, are beginning to connect with him as a character, with a personality, but she is not. Is this a criticism of her leadership? No, I don't think so. I mean, do you say please and thank you to Siri all the time? Well, frankly, I do. But that's because I've seen Battlestar Galactica, and I'm going to try and stay on the cool guy list uh, before Skynet goes active. And yes, yes, I, I know what I did there. Either way, it's something to consider in her style. She sees a tool as a tool and treats it as such. I'm sure we'll explore this more in, in, in future Voyager episodes. Anyway, they decide they need to go and help this lifeform heal from the damage they caused. The doctor asks questions that allows Torres to determine the best method to heal it. He already knows the answer, but knows that she does as well. He uses this opportunity to not only help her realize that she knows it, but also to highlight her skill and knowledge in front of her superior officers. Smooth move by the doctor here. Janeway begins handing out assignments. What's notable here is that she matches crew with the tasks. Strength-based. More of Neelix being upset about how Voyager conducts its business. He heads straight into Janeway's office to air his grievances. She shuts him right down. Is that final? Dismissed. That's a Starfleet expression for get out. You know, in hindsight, these bits with Neelix, I, I, I think they're really important. As a viewer back in the mid 90s, you'd likely be asking a lot of the same questions he is. If it's so important to get back to the Alpha Quadrant, why don't they just set course and fly? Now shut up and drive. drive, drive, drive. This was a good opportunity for fans to be acknowledged, but also for Voyager to establish what it's going to be about. They're going to head home, but they'll return home knowing much more about the Delta Quadrant. Things do not go smoothly for them as they attempt to heal the nebula. It reacts badly as they near the injury site, and Janeway just doesn't know how to proceed, so she asks for suggestions. They end up coming up with a plan, and this will allow them to drift along to the injury site. In the middle of all this, Neelix shows up on the bridge with hors d'oeuvres. Pretty, pretty funny to see, they happen to be at red alert at the time. You see, Neelix has appointed himself as the morale officer. Given the discussion that Janeway and Chakotay had earlier in the episode, this could be a good thing. But it is Neelix, so yeah, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Torres and the doctor come up with a new plan to heal the injury. They're basically going to stitch it up and it'll be all good. The crew have some questions about it, so Janeway grabs an opportunity to to both connect with her team and to teach them. Tom mentions that he always had a dog growing up. Janeway also has a dog and uses their shared experience to draw an analogy. I like dogs too. When I had to clean out a cut on my dog's leg, I needed to create a little diversion first to take her mind off it. This is a great approach to get someone on board with a plan. Find a common point of reference you'll both understand and paint an analogy with it. By describing the situation in more familiar and comfortable terms, it'll make more sense. Happens very quickly here, but she's able to get him on board and help him successfully execute the plan. They're successful, even though the total energy loss is, uh, is about 20%. So they're headed 14 light years off course to a planet they can mine for a refill. In the turbo lift, Harry Kim invites Janeway to Sandrine's and and she accepts. The crew snaps to attention as soon as she walks in, but she just waves them off. She jokes with people. She's being really personable and people aren't entirely sure how to take it. Torres Torres is just absolutely awesome here. And if you know what happens with her and a a certain lieutenant in the future of Voyager, this, this particular line is even cooler. Did you program this guy? Yeah, why? He's a pig, and so are you. Janeway grabs a pool cue, plays a little dumb, and then runs the table. A far cry from Picard not playing poker with his team, but again, a very different situation. Episode ends as she smoothly sinks the eight ball. Eight ball in the side pocket. What a fun episode. The Living Nebula story is interesting. It's good sci-fi stuff. It's also kind of whatever. I like that it served as a vehicle to acknowledge questions about how the journey would go and what Voyager would be doing in the Delta Quadrant. Torres and the Doctor really got to shine in this too. Earlier in the season, there was controversy as to whether or not Torres could function as the chief engineer or not. At this point, there really is no question. She is more than up to the job. The rest of the episode did a lot to build out the characters, and more importantly, their relationships. Harry and Tom are one of the more rewarding relationships in all of Star Trek, in my opinion, and they do a lot to build on that here. We get more with Janeway and Chakotay too, and that's fantastic. They'll go on to use Sandrine's for a few seasons, and they establish a couple fun characters in this episode, like Gaunt Gary, the Gigolo, and Sandrine herself. Honestly, the animal guide stuff wasn't great, but it wasn't all that bad either. In this case, it did a lot to build the bond between Janeway and Chakotay. It also demonstrated how open Janeway is to embracing the cultures of others. She eagerly dove in and was genuinely excited to learn. This will be important as Voyager continues to discover new cultures in the Delta Quadrant. A lot of what was built relationship-wise in this episode... We'll go on through the entire series. Fun episode. Command codes verified. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Stark said you wouldn't get that because it's not a Star Wars reference. Oops, <laughs> wrong universe is there. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. King Richard IV in Henry Fourth, Part 2. Very fitting to use a Shakespeare quote to sum up uh, most of the lessons in the Star Trek episode, don't you think? And yes, this is Star Trek, not the other one from the, yeah, you know. Leadership is hard. Leadership can be lonely. We're often called upon to make decisions that impact people's lives. Even when you have a team supporting you, the decision and the carrying out of that decision often land right on you, weighs on you. That can be really tough. This episode begins with an internal dialogue that every leader faces at some point. Am I behaving and carrying myself in a right manner? Are my relationships appropriate? Do they need me to be one of them? Or do they need something or someone to look up to? The leadership lesson here is not a simple one. And, 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 and it's not clear. The only piece of it that is clear is the need for situational awareness and the ability to know when a situation has changed. Let's go ahead and play armchair biographer with Janeway here for just a second. There's a reality somewhere out there where Voyager's mission to the Badlands to find Chakotay's Maquis ship was successful. They found them, arrested them, and flew back to Deep Space Nine. From there, as captain of a science vessel, she would have taken the crew out to chart gaseous anomalies, sample nebula, and, well, honestly, kind of the things she does anyway on their way home in the Delta Quadrant. The difference is, though, they'd head back to a starbase between missions. People would have a home away from Voyager, personal lives, even family. She could have, and likely would have, followed the Jean-Luc Picard model of being a captain that is taught at the Academy. Be the captain, not their friend. Or, as I will often counsel managers and leaders that I work with, be friendly, not friend. Now, after a few weeks in the Delta Quadrant, Janeway's assessing her role as captain. She's applying that situational awareness, and we're lucky enough to go along for that ride. What we see at Shea Sandrine at the the end of the episode demonstrates that this situation is different. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Or the Alpha Quadrant, for that matter. She's going to be more friendly with the crew. She's going to be more personable. As the series progresses, we see that she still maintains a professional distance, but not nearly as much as a Picard did, or, or as much as she likely would have had they not been stranded in the Delta Quadrant. She's going to do exactly what I said earlier. She will be friendly. You can apply this situational awareness in your life as well. I know that I changed my professional distancing in early 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic prompted stay-at-home orders, and we all changed our physical distancing. I suddenly had a distributed workforce that were working from home or other locations. We lost in-person contact with each other. I'm generally pretty open about my life, but I maintain professional decorum, and I don't share a whole lot about my deeply personal life at work. Using video conferencing tools, we connected on a regular basis to maintain connections with each other and to our work. In that, I I shared more of my personal life than, than I would have otherwise. This was important, though. It was important to my teams because seeing me worry, seeing me have fear about the same things they were afraid of, made them feel that it was okay to have those feelings. Had I put on a brave face and insisted on business as usual, but not from the office, staff would have felt more alone. It would have disconnected them from their work. But by humanizing myself... I made it okay for everyone else to be human. This ended up leading to really great productivity and and an engaged workforce. As the reality of a distributed workforce for the long term has become more apparent, I'm reestablishing some professional distance. In this next normal, it will still be more personal than it was when we were all in the office, but a little less than when we were still in reactionary crisis mode. Utilizing situational awareness enables you to gauge where you need to be. Sprinkle through the rest of the episode are some really great moments. In all the interactions with the nebula, there is fast-paced, critical problem-solving going on. Janeway actively brings all the members of the team together and leans on their expertise. She guides their discussions by asking questions and confirming when a decision has been made so they can continue on. That's that's a real theme that we've seen in a few episodes now so far. In Where No Man Has Gone Before, we talked about how Kirk didn't analyze every option to death. Like him, Janeway acknowledges when a decision is made and moves forward. I can almost imagine the second in a boxing match, you know, the guy is out there yelling, Stick and move! Stick and move, but instead yelling, decide and move, decide and move. I also really love the trust that she shows in her crew. At one point, Bellana has thoughts on how to move the ship through the nebula. There's no discussion, no weighing of options. She trusts Torres's assessment and immediately makes it happen. A four second burst at maximum thrusters ought to do it. All right, maximum shields. This is especially remarkable given that just a few weeks ago. She campaigned against Torres being the chief engineer. This is a real testament to Balana's skills and abilities, but also a testament to Janeway's capacity for trust. I want to thank everybody who has reached out to me on social media. I absolutely love getting feedback from you. Let me know what I missed or flat out got wrong. Was there something especially poignant for you in this? Please, come on, let me know, let me know. I'm on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff, T is in timpani, A-K-I-N. And if you've enjoyed the Starfleet Leadership Academy, I'd, I'd really like to ask you a favor. Could you please share it with a friend or someone that you think could benefit from it? I'd really appreciate it. So, what are we going to watch next time? space of the enemy season six episode 14 of the next generation we finally get a chance to see deanna troy shine this should be a good one and until then x astra scientia You